right. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Soundcheck, the rock and roll and alternative music podcast here at Central Michigan Life. My name is Michael Livingston, and as always, I'm joined by my friend and co-host... Andrew Mullen. Yes. And uh, we're back at it again with another episode, another artist sort of retrospective. Um, Discography deep dive, yes. if you will. Um, before we get into that topic, though, as always, go ahead and follow us over on S-Check Official on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, you can follow me at Michael C. Live. I retweeted something this week. Oh, oh, you retweeted something. Yes. So Wow. Content <laughs> builder right here, my I, That's exactly what's going on. Andrew Mullen 4 is mine. If you don't follow me. <laughs> just, just a bunch of political stuff. Yeah, but we'll 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 get um we got to post something on the actual Twitter account yeah, we pretty need, soon we, here. We, we need to do better with social media. Engagement. Well, we posted. Oh, did you guys got to check out our uh, our photo shoot that we did for the <laughs> horror punk episode? <laughs> so did we post like, that on the Twitter recently? Uh, I I think I retweeted the same life. Okay. One. Yeah. Uh, so at least did that. But no, we're gonna need to post some of our um our the, the single shots. Yeah. We need to post those. Yeah. Um, but. Yeah, so for some reason, someone someone got the bright idea to paint us up in misfits face paint. Yeah, and uh, for for our horror punk episode with Ben, that yes. was that was really cool. And we took like these awesome photos in the dark with us in skull makeup and yeah. all in black. Uh, but Ben's looked great. Ben's actually looked like the misfits. Ben's looked cool. awesome. I, I, I both of you and I kind of looked like. <laughs> Drunk black metal people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it was still cool. It was it was, it was very fun. I and did like the Sabbath like hand coming up. Yeah, you know. and we're on the sidebar on the cover of CM Life. If you want to pick up that issue this yeah, week, anyone on campus. Yeah, although, yeah. I'm just happy Halloween's over. <laughs> <laughs> really you happy. and your distaste of although now holidays we have to go for uh, now we have now Thanksgiving's gonna be coming up later this month, and that one's way worse. That one's glorifying uh, Native American genocide. Anyways, talking yeah. about this. Yeah, uh, so our episode topic today. Well, actually, first of all. Okay. Um, we wanted to spew in a bit of recent music news. Oh. We got some, we, we got a couple of uh, reu- reunions announced this week, didn't we? I, I heard that, yes. So we have uh, one, My Chemical Romance. <laughs> How do you feel about My Chemical Romance? I mean, they're, they're they're not the absolute worst no. emo band. I I honestly, Panic of the Disco is the worst. <laughs> yes, I th- I if I was to look back on the Black Parade, um, I'd say it's it's pretty it's pretty quintessential. But uh, well, am I, is it one of those albums I'm gonna listen to every day? No. Um, yeah, I, I I'm of the belief now that Gerard Way is one of the worst frontmen of all time. Really? I, Why is that? He, Oh my God, he's one of the worst overactors in music I've ever heard. I've never heard someone more dram- overly dramatic and more just like, ah, I'm just going to. Uh, it's just you were so going, annoying. You were going to get people up in arms, dude. My Chemical Romance fans are. Oh, I know hard. this. I know this. I used to be one. Not a hardcore <laughs> yeah. fan, but I used to be a fan, and wow. I know how they're like. Wow. I, I don't think I ever knew that. Did you well, ever well, tell me that? I know you were in a Fallout Boy at one point. Uh, well, and that was around the time. I was like, I, when I say I was like into like some of their songs, I wasn't like crazy about them as yeah. much as I was with Fallout Boy. I think Fallout Boy was my favorite of those ones. Okay. Honestly, looking back, Fallout Boy is the most tolerable of those early to mid two thousands, like you know, third wave emo stuff. Yeah, yeah. But even then, no, I okay. I hate, fall, hate my comic romance. But the one that's more exciting. God, yeah. Rage Against the Machine for like five tour dates. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and none of them are near us, so. That, I know, which is fine. When, or when Where are they playing? Uh, I think they're playing, is, is Lollapalooza the one? It's, I know Lollapalooza they'll probably be at. It, 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 is, is, is that the one in California, though? That's that in Coachella? Chicago. Okay, so then. Coachella's I, in California. So then it's Coachella that they're playing. Oh, they're playing okay. two, two, show, two, two sets there, and then I think. One in Oregon. I think it's mostly on the West Coast, I want to say. Okay. Or maybe one that's in Texas. I don't know. But new album incoming? I mean, possibly? who fucking knows at this point? <laughs> that I would've... mean, that'd be, honestly, that'd be, I'd be way more hyped for that than I ever would have been for Tool. So. Well, yeah, of course. Uh, I I personally would be more hyped for oh, that they're, than they're, Tool they're, on this, They're one of the, objectively, one of the top ten greatest bands of all time. Yeah. Like, really. And they've only ever had, they only had, like, three albums plus the covers thing. So. Yeah. Yes, more than ever, we need new Rage Against the Machine. So definitely, please, definitely. Please and if you, and if you have a way to get to one of those shows, that is a once in a lifetime opportunity. And at this point, it might be. Yeah, you know, yeah, but, but yeah. Anyways, I I I thought I'd just start that lot off. I, I liked it. Although, liked granted, it. by the time this comes out, it might already be out of date. So. <laughs> but you know, again, it, it's uh, yeah, I don't know. 
Um, I, I, I just wasn't sure what your opinions were really on MCR. M- yeah, MCR is one of those bands where I I can respect the Black Parade, but I can't uh, listen to on a daily basis. Like you know my opinions on the third wave emo stuff. It's it's stuff the, that's not really actually emo. Yeah, this the stuff that everyone perceives as emo, but in actuality is the farthest thing from it. Yeah, in my opinion. But that um yeah, I tend to skip over it. But um, I don't know. Maybe this reunion will give me a chance to gain my appreciation for that band. But uh, you want to move into the topic today? Yes. What's the topic? Michael? Okay. Please. So we are talking about a band from an, a '90s alternative band, which may sound good for some, bad for others. But this is the band I think stands out above all the rest. I, I discovered this band before Nirvana, before Pearl Jam, before all the grunge stuff, before all the '90s alt stuff, the Jane's Addiction, the whatever you want to call it. We're talking about Smashing Pumpkins, the one, the, the one quintessential band. And I know other you said other bands have done this that don't adopt the pop, uh, punk rock sound into their discography that a lot of the '90s alt bands did. Uh, what what do you got to say about that? What are some other bands that kind of diverted away from? Punk well, rock? I mean, first of all, I think the kind of the somewhat simplistic stuff of Gish, relatively mm. simplistic stuff of Gish, I think also has some traces back to punk rock but i i can i but yeah certainly they could they kind of divert away from that and they trace you know other um influences from other genres and i can mm-hmm. definitely see that um but for me like that's you saying claiming of the only one i think it's a bit eh, i don't think it's necessarily true i mean while they did start out punk Soundgarden eventually grew way away from that sure and so I, I really couldn't count that pearl jam always sounded closer to led zeppelin than anything else going mm-hmm. on in the grunge scene to me um i mean you I mean, it depends on what you want to call. I mean, well, if okay, well, we're talking about grunge. I mean, I don't know. Like, can't really call like STP punk at all. Like, I, I, I could give it to or Allison Janes either. Yeah, definitely. I, I would give it to like Mud Honey, Nirvana, and L Seven, mm-hmm. maybe early Soundgarden as well. But like, I don't know. I don't know if they're the only one that didn't really adopt those punk sensibilities. But yeah, uh, certainly definitely brought a lot of the same raw power, a lot of the same you know. Heavy distortion in a different way, but it, talking about the pumpkins, you know, they definitely brought a lot of that power to it in a really kind of unique way. I yeah, would argue. they they twist elements of sort of this gothic rock, this sort of like melancholy stuff. Um, like no pun intended. No pun intended. The, the original concept was kind of starting to be a uh, kind of a uh, a cure ripoff, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, which I'm, you know, and then they. Uh, the formation of the band, of course, is Billy Corrigan on vocals and really the guitar. classic lineup. The classic lineup, which is, by the way, for this episode, we're talking about the five classic albums. The, the, the ones that were pretty much released in the nineties. Right. Technically, Machina wasn't was in two thousand, but yeah. For 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 argument's sake, this is the nineties mm-hmm. run. Right. So you have. Um, so just to, to name off the albums immediately, you have Gish, Siamese Dream, Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness, Adore, and Machina, right? And throughout all of those albums, you're going to have Billy Corrigan on vocals. Well, most of them. Most of them. You're going to have Billy Corrigan on vocals. You're going to have James Eha on guitar, also the guitarist for A Perfect Circle, uh, right? I'm right about that, right? I have no clue. I yeah. know <laughs> it's definitely a perfect circle. Okay. He, he he plays guitar for a perfect circle. So, that sounds right. Um, you have Jimmy Chamberlain on drums, and you have DRC DRC White Ski, right? White, I have no. I don't know. <laughs> I, don't, <laughs> I have to look this up now. Okay. All right. Um. So DRC Retski. Retski there. Retski. Thank you. All right. And uh, to start it off, I'll I'll just tell you how I got into Smashing mm-hmm. Pumpkins because my. My dad, um, like, uh, you know, a lot of both of us, we get a lot of our music taste from our parents, um, mm-hmm. as anyone does. And my dad loves the song Muzzle off of Melancholy. And um, I heard that song before any Nirvana song, any, you know, grunge stuff. Um, and that that song kind of stuck with me mm-hmm. all throughout. And I admired the Smashing Pumpkins kind of, like, operatic um swelling of sounds and what i didn't realize is i'm actually hearing a lot of shoegaze influence that i would yeah. eventually really I mean, get definitely, into definitely later hear on that and stuff like gish mm-hmm. and um some stuff from melancholy i i mainly hear it off of a door which is um, odd but we'll get yeah. to that 
But uh, but when did you first hear about Smashing Pumpkins? Um, well, it, first of all, right off the bat, this is actually oddly. I know it's the Smashing Pumpkins, one of the biggest bands of the '90s, and everyone's gonna go, "What do this?" But this is this was actually a deep dive for me because I actually really wasn't. I really didn't know the discography that mm-hmm. well until until going into this episode because, well, if we're, if we're not gonna count when my dad played a certain pumpkin song in the car a lot, which mm-hmm. I will mention later. Um, yeah, when I was first first getting into music, I was first exploring a lot of the 90s stuff as well. When it came to the pumpkins, I hated the Smashing Pumpkins when I first got mm-hmm. into it. Yeah. I know that's blasphemy, but like I could not stand Billy Corgan's voice. That was pretty much <laughs> the basis oh, of yeah. it. I just, there was like, like I didn't have a necessarily a big problem with nasal vocals. I just don't know why. His just really rubbed me the wrong way. Oh, yeah. It does for a lot of people. And, you know, it's just like, oh, God, I can't stand this. So, I mean, I hated Bullet with Butterfly Wings. I like, I love it now, but like, I could not stand that song yeah. when I first heard it. So, it, so I've always, of course, a few years ago, I kind of removed that stick from my ass. And, um, and I, I, I've slowly, surely trying to hear what I've, you know, pick and choose from what I've heard mm-hmm. since then. But I mean, apart from uh, Siamese, I re- and you know, a couple other songs here and there, mm-hmm. um, I wasn't too familiar with this uh, with the music from from this band. I kind kind of knew their sound, but apart from that, yeah, this was just this was kind of an exploration for me. But I, I have to say again, I'm not I'm not 13 and stupid anymore, right. or 15 and stupid, however old I was when I was mm-hmm. first getting into music. Um, no, this this was a fantastic um, experience, and I'm really fi- glad I finally have given myself um, given myself a reason to to explore them. Yeah, I like I said, I was into that. I was into Muzzle and a lot of the the memorable tracks off Siamese and and Melancholy. Mm-hmm. Um, all throughout my life, but I didn't really deep dive into the Pumpkins until I saw them live um, mm-hmm. two summers ago at uh, Little Caesars Arena. Yeah. That was a tremendous show, and you can go back and hear me talk about that a little more on our Concert Experiences episode, first mm-hmm. of this season, I believe, yeah. Um, but that show was terrific, not just because um, it had a great set list. All these songs that we're going to talk about from these first five albums, that's what they focused on, you know, that original lineup sound. Um, and granted, they didn't have DRC on bass. They actually had um, Peter Hook's son from uh, Joy Division. Who we looked up and he, <laughs> he pretty much the only notable thing he's ever done. <laughs> His tour was the yeah. Smashing Pumpkins. But so. still, he played some great bass and, and the lineup in general was was fantastic um, with, all, you know, the three members that I really count. And... The uh, the set list was fantastic, but also just a tremendously visual show. They had these giant screens of like, you know, the the promos, the videos that they put together that were playing behind here. Billy would get on this giant tower and play piano on top of this ice tower thing. From what I remember, these giant like pr- stage props and and different things they uh, threw out to the audience, confetti, uh, you know, balls and everything like that. It was a tremendous. Tremendous performance, one of the best shows visually I've ever seen. Interesting, interesting. And uh, I, you know, I wouldn't picture them as a visual band. Well, it's just strange how like they uh, the money that Billy Corgan accumulated <laughs> um, yeah. throughout the years, like how that eventually stacked up, and uh, how he, you know, he kind of. I I would wager that a lot of the money that went into that tour is from Billy's own pocket, um, and the. Uh, it's just it's just amazing what they were able to pull together for a show like that, mm-hmm. and uh, I think what I re- if I remember correctly the the turnout wasn't that tremendous like mm-hmm. for a Little Caesars show, you know it was um I, I you know definitely like more than half of the the stadium was filled, but it definitely was not sold out sold out by any means. And when he says Little Caesars, Little Caesars Arena, if anyone is yeah. listening outside of Michigan, <laughs> yeah right, but um. <laughs> Yeah, so that that as I listened to these songs, I would get flashbacks to that uh, that show. But um, don't you have some opinions on Billy Corgan that you wanted to get across? Like, what do you mean? Like, the, I know you don't like him as a singer, but don't well, you? Well, know? I, I like him now as a singer. Right, I love him now as a singer. Uh, but are you, are you talking about like, okay, yeah, I mean, for like at least a few years ago, he at least to me, and I think a lot of people kind of had the perception of being kind of a dick, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, which. I'm sure is warranted in some ways, but I think as kind of the the years has gone on, and he's he's given me less reasons to actually think that. Yeah. So um, I really know. I mean, like I know that like I know what one instance um, 
Like I know the, the one that kind of got to me a few years ago when he said when people were singing like happy birthday to him, like all like the concert was saying a happy birthday to him live in like concert. And he's like, my name's William, not Billy. Wow. And I was like, okay, dude, whatever. <laughs> and then like, and I, I think I remember reading somewhere in an article that he kind of gave like a really weird kind of uh, egotistical reason for that. But mm-hmm. actually if I, if I'm, but reason I'm actually calmed down on him, it, like, you know, mentioning that um, I think my dad, cause he, he's interested in Billy Corgan too. And mm-hmm. um I think during a Howard Stern interview, I want to say, and yeah. again, maybe this isn't true or not, I don't know, but I think Billy, and who knows if he's telling the truth or not, but I think he said, no, that I think William is what his dad called him, and as we'll get to later, his parents weren't exactly the nicest to him, so he mm. didn't like be reminded of that. I think that's the reason, I could be wrong, hmm. but I think that's the reason he gave when like Howard Stern asked him about that. So again, I... Maybe it's warranted in some ways, but I think he just kind of has like I don't give a fuck attitude. Right. And maybe that rubs people off the wrong way. So, but really, I don't really have anything to share on that. Yeah, he definitely was kind of the um, the uh, kind of the loudmouth of the band throughout the nineties. I mean, um, he, I, I mean, a lot of bands kind of like can. He's he even admitted that sometimes, yeah, maybe I was a little too tyrannical with it. Right. How I ran it. Yeah. For sure, but we'll, well, let's get out of the uh, the personal aspects of the band. Yeah, I don't like folks and and, <laughs> and get into the actual music here. Yeah, so it's 1991, right? Uh, where are we? Where are we in music right now? We have kind uh, of well, ten and never mind. I don't know if they're out when this came out, but mm-hmm. at least in that year, those were the two biggest records. Right, <laughs> talked about hyped records. Right, and then you got something like Gish coming out, mm-hmm. the Smashing Pumpkins' first record. Um, I would say the reason why this record stands out is the drumming. Um, Jimmy Chamberlain, uh, originally a jazz drummer, is the reason why the Pumpkins switched from this Cure ripoff um, kind of uh, idea of the band and going yeah. into this really rock and roll um, band. Because they kind of realize what they had, and they're like, yeah. So they're like, well, we're not going to waste our time being the Cure. Let's actually Definitely. try to do some heavy rock shit. You have, you have. Um, tracks like rhinoceros which got some radio play a little bit which is strange because it's a six minute song you also have uh my favorite song snail off this one I, you ha- oh, that's a great song yes so it. fantastic you have uh siva being another mm. single off here this this wasn't the biggest release um for the smashing pumpkins this no. definitely wasn't the uh the album that got them popular no. but you i like listening to this one because you can hear um all of those early influences in there, all mm-hmm. the bands that they were they had in mind as they were recording this, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, the more I go back to it, the more I'm reminded of how uh, the band was really simple in concept, but the evolution that they went through, oh, through yeah, these five of albums I mean, is amazing. Especially when you compare this go on to later records like Melancholy and Machina. Mm-hmm. Like this is a fairly standard this is a standard 90s alternative rock record. Definitely. Which the- to me, sorry. It's okay. Go, I the the, uh, the standout another standout point for this is uh, just these wailing stack guitars that you're gonna get yeah. um, on a lot of these songs. I just wanted to point that out, but keep going with what you're yeah, saying. Yeah, but, but they definitely evolved on that, as mm-hmm. the, uh, especially uh, even going on to the next record. They way amped that up. But, yeah. But the, I mean, but ultimately, these sounds to me kind of like a standard '90s all alternative record. Definitely. We're, definitely. Heard with like another grunge bands, the other alternative bands at the time. However, I don't mean that as a knock because something else I should mention, and I've met, I think I've told you this a couple of times. I may have even mentioned it on the show. I am a freaking sucker, an absolute sucker for 90s alternative music. Yes. Completely. Um, I could probably count on what, I mean, if you want to expand it to like adult, alternative, like contemporary, new mm-hmm. metal, pop punk from the 90s, then that list would get much bigger. Yeah. But what, what we would. Typically consider alternative 90s alternative rock and grunge. Mm-hmm. I could probably count the bands I genuinely dislike on like my two hands. Like I, I just there's something about this time. There's something about this time when I look back and I listen to this music, even though I never experienced it. Mm-hmm. Something magical about it. There's something really interesting about the sounds that are being created then. And so something like this, well, it's certainly not the most ambitious thing they ever they've ever done. Mm-hmm. Like I certainly see like why some people maybe even be turned off because of that. It's kind of like the first Radiohead record. It's this is shit that's right up my alley, and yeah. I can and, and I can just like, all right, this is just kind of I don't want to say mindless, but it's just kind of fun music. Mm-hmm. It's fun as a as 
the pumpkins can really be. Right. And you sit back and listen to it. So um, it's weird. It's weird that you make that point because the older I get, I seem to dislike '90s alternative more. Of course, I went through a time where I was so into all of that, but um, I don't know. As I keep growing up, I I feel like it starts to blend together, and I don't want that to happen because I I'll go back to albums like Gish, and I'll be proven wrong Mm -hmm. from that. So. But even I, I think a lot of bands had their weird quirks and their weird hits. And granted, yeah, you certainly a lot of certain sounds and certain bands sounded similar to each other. But I think if you really look back at that time, there's so many different sounds. You, even if you really want to kind of broaden what's alternative, you can look at alternative metal at the time, which had its all its own weird, you know, subgenres in mm-hmm. it. I mean, grunge. I mean, grunge really. And I've said this on the show before that grunge is kind of a stupid way to classify bands together because a lot of those bands sounded different from each other yeah so i think i kind of i, I kind of get where you're coming from and it's just kind of a me thing i'm just really biased because i just love this kind of music so mm-hmm. um certainly siva is a standout for me as well Definitely. love the riff on that so yeah yeah great record i don't really have much more to say on that. It's just a solid 90s rock album i i don't either because i want to go right into what actually made the pumpkins popular oh, um the, you know you, you're gonna know it right from that album cover and i love how they brought this album cover back they brought the twins on the album cover for the promo and now they're all grown up and Good. they took pictures of them and like filmed the video with them as the promo for that tour i saw them on which is the coolest wow, thing wow i didn't know that but now you're now you're in siamese dream okay the the album that truly broke out the pumpkins with mm-hmm. songs like share rock uh today rocket disarm soma uh mayonnaise are you just reading off the track list? no i'm reading i'm reading the ones that are really good which is pretty much the entire yeah album. i was gonna say this this record's fantastic front to back which is the most consistent record it's it's really hard to choose a favorite song off this one for me but if i if i had to I'd probably say Rocket. The the that intro riff. So it, it just it really it like sounds so weird. It's, it's so no, awesome. It's nostalgic. It's kind of youthful. It kind of really makes you imagine just like building a cardboard rocket and taking off the space in it, you know? Um, what would you say your favorite song off this in an album filled with great songs? Um if I had to pick my absolute favorite. I've always kind of had a uh, see softbox in the title, but I've always mm-hmm. had kind of like, I've always really liked Silverfuck. Yeah, I really think I just, it's it's <laughs> weird. It's the longest song in the album, but I just love the dynamics how they kind of dips in and out and then just explodes. Yeah, from essentially absolute silence. It's great. But Geek USA and the single Cheer Brock are also really close contenders. Yeah, that fucking riff and solo off of Geek USA. Mm-hmm. Holy crap, man! Mm-hmm. It's and I'm gonna say it and it. it this is partly because it's the one I was actually familiar with and before coming into this episode. And I know it's basic as hell, but I don't care. This is my favorite Pumpkins record. I, yeah. I, I, this is, it's the most consistent. This is where they definitely, I think, time-wise, they definitely use it the best. Um, my only real complaint is it just kind of teeters off at the end, and I don't mm-hmm. really like that. But other than that, this is just a stellar record front to back. Definitely. And and you mentioned the idea of kind of like being really quiet and kind of teasing you with the buildup and then just exploding. Mm-hmm. They, I mean, they were, uh, they were, you know, putting those ideas together on songs like Rhinoceros from Gish. And, but this album, I think, is just what Gish, an evolution mm-hmm. of it and, and its final form. You know, all the, all the components that they originally started just evolved and expanded upon in their own unique way. And uh, yeah, I, I really cannot see a good or a bad song off this record. Um, I don't know. Um, I mean, I mean, uh, it's obviously something else that you you kind of mentioned with Gish, but I think it was really almost perfected mm-hmm. on Siamese Dream uh, was the guitar layering. Yes, it's something I didn't really know about listening to it. I know about before I did my research, but. Mm-hmm. Um, if you, I mean, I think you would probably prefer. To well, yeah, you're go, you're going to you're going to get that um kind of shoegaze thing going in where there's this multi-tracked guitar going and stacking those layers mm-hmm. of guitar, and you you saw that on on tracks like Rhinoceros, mm-hmm. where they had I think forty guitar tracks exploding mm-hmm. in the in the um in the second third of the uh, of the song, but on this one is when you're really starting to see that guitar layering come into play. Um, just really stacking up and providing this beefy, um, almost metal tone on some of the songs. It, 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 it's so fucking good. And I, and again, like, 
not like again, again there would be some songs that have like at some points like 40 to 70 guitar tracks layered in at yes. a certain point which is it's insane it's like really quark was sitting there which, which guitar tone should I use I don't know how about all of them right which is like which could backfire spectacularly but mm-hmm. he just, just, this, this, the, the, those tracks are so expertly layered on, one, on top of one another and they just creates it doesn't even sound like reason I didn't even think about that possibly of those guitar tracks it's just like it doesn't really sound you can't even really hear them all because they all blend so well together mm-hmm. it just sounds like one giant monster guitar right it's great and rightfully so but I think a lot of people consider Trent Reznor as a pioneer of using Pro Tools in music mm-hmm. Honestly, after listening to this, why the fuck isn't Billy Corgan thrown in there? Because exactly. how well he did with that. Exactly. I, I think, honestly, in some ways, he almost should get just as much credit as as Reznor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, and it's it's kind of strange that an album like this would appear on number one of the Billboard Top 200 in its release. I, when was it? It was number one. Was number one. Oh, it, okay. it got to number one. Yep. Nice. And but the recording process for this was so hectic and chaotic, like. Each individual band member I know had their own sort of uh, personal traumas that they were going through. I know Billy was dealing with some major depressive issues. J- uh, Chamberlain the dealing with... Today came out as well as yes. suicidal mm-hmm. thoughts. Yeah, you have uh, Chamberlain dealing with major drug issues. Too. So much that one of the major reasons why they actually had to switch recording locations, mm-hmm. they had to move out, get away from the town they're at, so they can get him away from his drug connection. <laughs> right, which is absolutely insane to me, and how all that pain and anguish kind of came together into such a, really a perfect record. I mean, a lot of our partly was Corden's perfection in trying to make this record, mm-hmm. but it's... I don't know. I mean, it, it's there. There have been a lot of records that have had tumultuous, led some legendary records like like Bridge Over Troubled Water, Rumors, End mm-hmm. of the Century by the Ramones. I mean, a lot of these have had really troubled, your tumultuous recording processes, but yeah. somehow they end up coming out fantastic. At least, well, in the case for Rumors, other people think they came out great, but like you right. Know. And despite the commercial success success of this, this is really when um, this this album kind of had some backlash in in terms of like yeah. now people are painting the pumpkins as sellouts, right? Yeah, from from my from my research, a lot of people were like, oh, because they're coming big, or calling them careerists, or they're mm-hmm. saying this and that. You know, I think in fact one of my absolute favorite figures in music, Bob Mould, even he made a comment that I, even I couldn't agree with when he said that they're the musical monkeys, or those are the grunge monkeys, sorry, right. referring to the band The Monkeys, which is completely ridiculous, because, sorry, Ben, by the way, I know you love them, but <laughs> they, the monkeys are terrible, um, because he famously <laughs> couldn't really play their instruments very well, because they were just a TV band, right? which is not something you can say about the Pumpkins at all. So, and now I'm thinking retrospectively, if the Pumpkins dropped with this album, they would have been considered pretty much one-hit wonders, right? But then they completely blow all of these critical receptions out of the water, painting them as sellouts, painting them as... Well, that was really from, like... I I think critically from other critics, I imagine it did very well with them. I think it's just in the the music industry. It was the independent, you know, scene that was kind of dogging them. Right, right. And they completely blow those... Uh, criticisms out of the water and sort of Mm -hmm. really drive home themselves as an independently amazing musical project with the next album. Uh, 1995's Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness. Definitely a concept record that's going to last for years beyond our time too. Uh, This album is, I have to say, is probably uh, subjectively the best Pumpkins record. Um, not my personal favorite, but I think if if you were to ask a general fan, they'd say Mel- Melancholy. Yeah, I don't know if I'd call it subjectively the best, but it would... I mean, it is kind of hard not to, but mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. I'd have to think about that, but you know them better than I do, so... You're talking about over two hours of music on this record, and that's yeah. just the original, if you include the deluxe edition. Or, or which, was that Songs from the... Was it Songs from the Black Hole? Oh, like Weezer's? Thing? No, no. What's sorry? What's 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 that compilation called? It had like all like the 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 demos and shit that they didn't have and it was released. Is that on Spotify? Is that the Pisces? No, Scariot? not Pisces. Um. Um. No, it's actually uh, Airplane Flies High. Right. So it's like a compilation of the stuff they didn't release because he wrote like fifty six songs or something. So much music, and I I don't I don't know what 
was it in, in Billy's personal life that drove him to write so much consistently? But this is where you're going to get a, a bunch of other um, Smashing Pumpkins hits, but a lot of those underground B-sides mm-hmm. that uh, you know true fans are really into. So for the hits you got... True fans. Yeah. You, for the hits you got like Tonight Tonight, Jelly mm-hmm. Belly, Zero... The Bullet with Butterfly Wings, which is a classic pumpkin song. Um, you have... Arguably the most famous. Yeah. Galapagos, um, Muzzle. There's that song coming back. 33. And, of course... 1979. Yes. Okay. We're going to talk about the song. Can I... Can I Go can on I a tangent. Something? Yeah. So, um... So, I, first of all, I should say... I. This is a fantastic record. I was nervous looking at that two-hour mm-hmm. length, but I can say for the most part, there actually wasn't a lot of filler. It was actually really strong to listen to, as much as I liked a lot of the other songs. So I'll get to those. I'm sorry. I can't, I can't not. I know it's the most basic thing to say, but I can't not say this. 1979 isn't my favorite rec- song on this record, because mm-hmm. it is. It's so good. It, and par- I say that partly because, again, the nostalgic love. So I think I mentioned earlier a song that my dad played a lot in the car. I can remember, like, 30 or so, like, songs that he would play a lot that, 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 that kind of stuck with me yeah. before I kind of got into music. 1979 was one of those. I always remembered that little riff, little weird thing, the way that the song starts and the, the chorus and everything. It's it just so beautiful. It blends together. And while I, I, I kind of thought about this when I was listening to the song, and I know it's not strictly about nostalgia, but I feel like this song perfectly, I think we have this song perfectly encapsulated what nostalgia feels like because you have all those like reminiscing on like you know like fun times as a teenager you know like a, you know enjoying you know living life to you know to the fullest I guess I don't right. know but it also has that moodiness to it and it just kind of it's the moodiness it, it, it kind of feels like well oh shit I'll never be able to experience that again mm-hmm. you know and granted I, I I'm 21 so I can't really personally to that <laughs> idea specifically but right. you know I mean look, look, there are points in my childhood where like, I feel a kind of emotion that I kind of get from 1979 mm-hmm. granted because it's also a nostalgic song for me funny enough so. yeah. it, um, but it, 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 it's, it's probably their biggest most well known song they this or maybe Bullet mm-hmm. and I, I say well deserved I, and sometimes hits are hits for reasons because they're just fantastic um, so that's my little Side note on that, I love the song. Definitely. Death. Oh, the, I mean, this whole album is the concept is kind of portraying life from beginning to death, right? And a song, I, I've heard different theories. On what, what's your theory of what the well? What the for, about? Well, I know some people say it's like the first hat, the first disc is because it's like a two CD disc, right? Worth because it's two hours. The first disc is supposed to be day, the second disc is supposed to be night. Mm-hmm. I've also like I I think what I saw a quote from Billy that I saw is just about kind of uh, just the whole. Representing a whole spectrum of like sadness and well melancholy mm-hmm. from the human experience. But well, what do you think of records? I think it's personally about uh, a journey from birth to death. And 1979 perfectly captures the the teenage years. You know, like you said, that or, or rather the midlife crisis where you're reflecting on, on those. It. Right. You have zero. I think portraying like teenage angst, like feeling like an outcast almost. Ah. You have Cupid de Locke kind of portraying the first love almost in that and feeling of it go on to stuff like what was the ruby song oh um hold on one second it's and then through the eyes of ruby yeah and they in that kind of like that love falls apart too right later on yeah which is reflective of what was happening with billy's marriage in real life yeah and then you got xyu towards like the end of that which, which fucking blew me away oh like, yeah i hadn't heard that song before it's just a side note i really wanted to talk about that one oh, go i heard it. that i was like that riff came on like what? Yeah. By the end, it's like, what the fuck did I just listen to? This <laughs> yeah, is the greatest thing ever. Such a good oh, song. Oh, it's so great. Well, yeah. it, they normally they normally save that for an encore, right? And they close close mm-hmm. to set. Is that true? Did they play that live when you saw them? Um, they. I don't remember what the encore was. If I'm going to be honest with you, I think I think the encore was the um the new songs. But did they play this one live? Yes, definitely. Oh, okay. Yeah, definitely remember X Y U. Um. They even played Tales of a Scorched Earth, which is my favorite track. Oh, dude. I knew you were going to be into that, that one. That brutal. Brutal. Absolutely brutal. Just tears you apart yeah. with that guitar. Uh, but anyway, the, the album as a whole, just perfectly, whatever it is, whatever it may be about. It, it, it kind of has that. 
I, I've, I've heard someone say, like, you know, the song Don't Fear the Reaper by Lou Icicle. I've mm -hmm. heard it's kind of like a creepy beauty to it. Yeah. This kind of has that, too. It kind of has, like, a haunting beauty to it, this whole record. It's sad, but there's points, of, but it's still very wonderfully crafted. The music's wonderfully layered and lush, and it's just you get all these different instrumentations in it and just different kinds and just the, the dynamics of the songs, how it flows. It's just mm -hmm. wonderfully laid out. Yeah. So um, I... Really, I don't have. I didn't really have a lot of complaints to this. I mean, there were, there were a couple songs that were kind of filler to me, mm -hmm. but like, really, not as much as you would think for like a twenty-eight track record. Definitely, definitely. and it, it's it's just well produced. It's really again, you get a lot of those same layerings that you got from Siamese, not used as effectively as I would have, as I would think for Siamese, but mm -hmm. I think it's still fantastic. Something I actually want, and I'll let you finish your points first if you mm. want to answer that but no question i had for you actually called seeing them live is mm -hmm. you know obviously billy has said i could probably never create recreate the sound that i did on siamese live i mean when, when you heard these, these songs from melancholy and siamese that were just so well layered did you uh how did how did that sound differently live than oh, on, yeah. on the record that's a, that's a great question because i was thinking about how you produce a live version of such layering of guitars mm -hmm somehow they were able to do it perfectly and it almost really? gave me the perception that they may have been playing to a backing track but i know that wasn't <laughs> the case because it was it was that good but i i think um you know when you're a band that big you can afford that kind of equipment that can mm -hmm. produce that sound um they also had the addition of a second guitarist so ah. that that of course added an extra layer to it and i think that's why it was able to go over so perfectly mm -hmm. if you were going back to the 90s where they couldn't afford to have a second guitarist I think most of the songs from Siamese and Melancholy would have sounded like shit. But since they added that second guitarist and probably had a lot of working in the production side of that of those live shows, they were mm -hmm. able to pull it off very well. And then uh, what, what, what other thoughts do you have on Melancholy? My final thought on Melancholy is you can't consider yourself a rock music fan and you haven't listened Whoa. to this album. Yeah. Well, fuck, I wasn't a rock music fan until <laughs> like... I've always been just... Daunt this album's always kind of been daunting to me. You don't have like, to go through the whole thing, but you have to know what's on it. You have to know the songs right, that are on it. That's okay. Uh, next two, we'll kind of go over a little bit quicker. Yeah. Um, but these are kind of the underrated picks, um, mm -hmm. in my opinion, for the Smashing Pumpkins discography. Your final two records that are coming out, you have first Adore coming mm -hmm. out in 1998, which is a complete diversion from it the is. first three. Now you're actually going to get some elements of electronica. In the sound, in the sound, which I think I was apprehensive on you approaching, but what did you what, what did you feel coming out of it? Um, first? you know, here's first of all, like your apprehensions, your apprehensions aren't totally without warrant, warrant because this was my least favorite of the records I listened to, apart mm -hmm. from that that new record you told me to listen to, which right. we won't really talk about. Um, but for me, like, yeah, they, typically I'm 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 a guitar guy. I like guitar driven music, mm -hmm. so. Yeah, the electronica elements weren't, weren't really like, oh, this isn't really my first thing. However, I think they used it very well and very effectively on this record. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, songs like uh, Ava, Do Ava Adore mm -hmm. and um, uh, Tear, especially, I really liked those songs. Yeah. And I, I think they're able to create, yeah, this really in these really nice soundscapes. My, my really, my biggest issue, actually, I would have been okay with having these sounds on here. And it could have been, I would have probably taken this to a little more effectively mm -hmm. than I have with like the other records, but I didn't because problem is though, I think, not to say that was the case for all the songs, but like everything was kind of this moody uh, electronica rock stuff, which mm -hmm. I was totally into, but it kind of stayed at the same level. You kind of lost the dynamics you got on mm -hmm. Siamese Dreams and Melancholy and later on with, with, with Machina. So I think that was honestly my biggest problem with this, is those, those dynamics are gone, and that hour, over hour-long length gets really noticeable. Yeah. I can definitely see where you're coming from on that. Although I... Uh, uh, Adore is actually a top pick for mine, simply because the idea of using electronic drums... It's not a new concept to this band. When they originally started, before Jimmy Cha uh, Jimmy Chamberlain joined, they practiced two electronic drum beats. So this is something that's been consistent with the band for a long time. But uh, 
this is when I feel like the album gets most shoegazy um, in terms of the wailing guitaring and the the stacking of the guitars and things like that, especially on a song like Perfect, where it's just kind of like this waving, this kind of like transcendental experience that you're going through. And yeah, you're going to lose some dynamics with that, of course, because uh, you think of like quintessential shoegaze like My Bloody Valentine, the, the loudness kind of turns into like this stagnant line. It, you know. it, yeah, and which is fine, but the, again, maybe this is just a personal opinion. But I, I even I love punk rock, so there's hardly any dynamics really with punk sure. rock. It's all full speed, full throttle, full loudness, all at once. And honestly, again, like something like you know shoegaze, where it's very loud, like that, that I'm fine with. So at least my energy is still, it, it's just it's very energetic, and that's a right. good way to keep my attention. If you don't always have those dynamics there, you can still if you have a lot of energy, you can still keep my attention. Yeah, I guess just for me personally, when things are a little slower, more subdued, I just I would just like a little more something to be added to that. Definitely, so. I, I'm I'm curious to when we when if and when we actually do a shoegaze episode, how you're going to come out of that because my view on uh, an album like Adore and those elements getting thrown in there in general is like the loudness eventually just becomes part of what you're hearing and it's not giving you excitement anymore if anything it's throwing in you into a trance and that's what i feel like happens with I, again door. maybe well it's also loud and loudness is just fine enough too for it yeah <laughs> energy being like yeah that's fine it's just again again maybe can, i really like there i don't think there was a lot of song i mean there are a couple iffy songs like what was the eight minute one that's on here um mm-hmm. that i didn't like uh um I don't remember. It's one of the later tracks. Um, yeah, I, yeah. Again, I, I just I don't know. Yeah, I, I guess I get. I think it's just kind of just kind of that same. Set. It's just when it's subdued for so long and it doesn't change. That's when I kind of lose interest. Yeah, the so, track and, uh, you're thinking of is for Martha. I think so. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I can see where you're coming from on that. But Adore definitely, uh, a, a just a very uh, ambitious step in a different direction that I don't think anybody saw coming, but that I definitely appreciate. It's and you like, know, and I can definitely see where you're coming from on that. Mm-hmm. Too. But so. uh, in the next album, I think that this is probably the most underrated project of the Smashing Pumpkins. Yes. Uh, the next album we're talking about is 2000. We're in, you know, my birth year. All right. Birth year. Yes. Where I, this, the door was, and the door was my birth year. Hey, there you go. There you go. But, uh, gifts for both of us. <laughs> but I think I knew Machina was going to be an underrated pick. I knew it was something you were going to like as well. Uh, <laughs> it's just right off the bat with the song, The Everlasting Gaze. Oh, it's so good. It's just so good. It's just a fucking gut punch right from yeah. the start. I love Heavy's Pumpkins. I really love Heavy Pumpkins. And again, this is honestly my second favorite album mm-hmm. I listen to. Yeah, I, I honestly, personally, I would actually put this over Melancholy, which is, again, probably blasphemy, unpopular, I don't care. <laughs> this was great. I was a little disappointed because I kind of hyped myself thinking this would be another really heavy, really, like, like heavy, you know, highly produced record for them because mm-hmm. I kind of knew the heavier shit. But actually what I found, and I actually still ended up enjoying quite a bit, was kind of like a lot of the elements from a door, and they kind of mixed that in with, like, some of the concepts from melancholy which yeah. I really appreciate it so sometimes you got these really really heavy tracks like the first song but you also got you know other stuff like uh, Try 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 which is yes. kind of a more blend of the guitar driven rock they did on melancholy with the more electronica elements mm-hmm. of Adore which I really liked I have to just praise the balance of this album in general because the Pumpkins mm-hmm. you're always going to get this mixture of those really heavy songs and those really um, light more easygoing songs and you comparing a song like Stand Inside Your Love, which is really high energy and was my favorite song for a long time. And then now you're going to Try, 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 which uh, shouts out Detroit. One of this is Try, Try, Try is actually my favorite pumpkin mm-hmm. song at the moment. I'm sure it'll change within the next uh, couple months or so. Yeah. I've been really gravitating towards the last track of this album, Age of Innocence. Uh, recently as well. That's such a good song. And it's actually, I think the album's laid out pretty well too, Mm because when you get to Try, 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 it's like, oh, okay, I kind of want a little something more heavier, I kind of want something more louder. Bam, heavy metal machine and just onslaught you. It's great. (laughs) I love this record. Yeah, I I cannot stress this enough that if you're going to listen to Smashing Pumpkins, don't just think of Smashing Pumpkins as Siamese Dream and Melancholy. Listen to that stuff, the stuff that comes after it. Listen to Adore, listen to Machina. Don't go beyond that, but... Well, uh, isn't there a second Machina record? There is, and it was only released, I think... Um, on in, the internet and vinyl. Right. 
So you can you can search that up. It's not on Spotify. You're not going to find it on there, but you'll probably find it on Bandcamp or some of those. Have you listened to it? I have not. I have not either. But I'd like to. I think actually, if I remember correctly, I saw that currently they're Billy Corgan's working on a reissue for for this record. Oh, that's and I think they're I think with the deluxe edition, there he's going to include all like the songs. Oh, that just was, put it all together. Uh, yeah, on Metal Machina too. So. That's that's going to be great. If that happens, I know how I'm spending uh, five hours out of my day because <laughs> those how <laughs> fucking long those. Uh, if they're gonna include both plus remixes and things, that was gonna be like ten hours long. Oh, it's gonna be great. Oh my god, that's the box set. That's like I'll take up half your fucking college dorm right there. <laughs> but anyway, don't think I'm gonna leave it at that. Is don't think of Smashing Pumpkins as, uh, you know, despite all my rage, I'm still just a rat in a cage. Because I feel like that's what a lot of people think of the Pumpkins yeah. as. They think of those those really we'll shake down 1979. Right, right. They they're gonna think of. Those those tracks, those really big hits um, that really got pushed by record labels and kind of the music industry in mm-hmm. general, and they'll they're gonna get past all of the really great B sides that you have on a lot of these records. That, mm-hmm. That's all I have to say, and that's what, what was my goal with doing an episode like this is you have to see what's underneath these records. And yeah, and don't wait as long as I did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Lots of you really still can't stand his voice like like I did. They're yeah, understandable. But. <laughs> No, I, and I'm very happy you pushed me to do this. I, I found some really great music. I'm definitely going to be adding a lot of shit to my phone awesome. the next time of week because this, 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 this music was great. I, I figured I would like it for the longest time at this point, but finally you pushed me, and yeah, no, this is, I was very happy we did so. Final thoughts, just wrapping up uh, the discography. They did recently put out a new album called Sh- Shiny with, and Oh So Bright. most of the original Most lineup. of the original. Like I said, you're not going to have DRC on bass. However... Um, it's an okay album. Um, I, I wouldn't say start with this in any stretch (laughs) of the means, but if this is something I say, go and listen to, if, uh, you get through all those five albums and you're like, I love this band, like you, you caught the bug for Smashing Pumpkins and you want to expand a little more, uh, skip over Oceania, Oceania. Uh, monuments to an elegy and just go straight to shiny and oh so bright because that's that out of the reunion stuff i'm gonna have to say that's probably the best well well the stuff before what wasn't even really reunion it was just billy corgan calling himself yeah. Smash pumpkins it was kind of like how chinese democracies by guns and roses was as well a guns and roses album mm-hmm. even though it was just axel rose and a bunch of a returning cast of people who cannot stand Axl Rose. <laughs> yeah. So my final advice is keep an eye on Sm- Smashing Pumpkins yeah. right now as they're touring, as they're getting older. Um, they could pull a David Bowie and they could release something amazing, you know, uh, in their last years as a touring band. Um, but anyway, with that, I think we can move on to our re- recommendations. recommendations yeah. yeah. Go first because I actually okay. I still need to find one. <laughs> sure. Um, I discovered a – this is a song I just came back to like right before we came back to this as I was going through and – um, reorganizing my Spotify and I found um, a song called Hash Out Cash Out by a band called Marshmallow Coast All right, off their 2015 album Vangelis Rides Again um, you're going to see this album cover and you're going to think oh this, this looks really cool you got this like phantom in front of a keyboard with hands playing and uh, I haven't gone into the album yet but this first single you're going to hear is an absolutely beautiful arrangement, reminding me of stuff like by uh, Sufan Stevens, just beautiful arrangement, uh, composition, um, but turns into a great psychedelic rock song mm-hmm. um, and just really fulfilling uh, guitar leads that it's going to be thrown in there, acoustic mainly. And then you're going to get some awesome, like really happy go lucky percussive elements in there. You have to listen to this song just as like, a good driving song, I'd oh, say. And who is this again? This is by a band called Marshmallow Coast. Ah. Yeah. Just check it out. It's I think it's just a good little discovery I made a couple weeks ago, and I totally forgot about it, and now I'm going to go and listen through the rest of this record. So that's my recommendation for this week. Let me pull up mine. Okay. And then I, was, I, I don't know. I, I'm kind of hesitant to recommend them because I think they're really, really good, and I kind of mm-hmm. want to save them on a special occasion, but... I forgot, so I, I kind of got no choice. <laughs> so I mentioned this band a couple times too. Okay, uh, they're an Australian band that kind of formed in the in the in, in the '90s. Sorry, mm-hmm. um, they're called the New Christ, mm-hmm. and um, I think currently, because on Spotify, they have um, just a little under two thousand monthly listeners. 
which is a fucking crime because this band <laughs> should have been huge. Yeah. This is not like a little like old forgotten band. Like, okay, yeah, they're, I think they're really good, but I can see why they weren't big. No, this band should have been fucking huge. <laughs> uh, they should have been one of the best alternative Australian rock bands of all Ooh. time. Uh, that's saying I don't know lot, if I go that far. That's saying a lot with all the good Australian There's music. There's a lot, of, but they should honestly be somewhere up there because mm-hmm. they're phenomenally, they're like, they're, they're, they're like stupidly good. Actually, I was wrong. Their first album was in 1988. Oh, wow. In so they have, they have an album in 1988 and 1989, and then they kind of picked up from 97, and their last album was in 2002, and that one, that last one actually wasn't that good. But um, seriously, the first four records you got from this band, um, you got with Define Rights, Distemper, Lower Yourself, which is my favorite, and we got this. Fantastic. Just, it, it's hard. I don't know exactly how to pinpoint their sound. They kind of change slightly from each record. Not enough where you can notice it that well, but you can definitely notice difference in songwriting and their approaches to, to, to their sound. Yeah. They definitely, they're, they're kind of a, a straightforward rock and roll group with a lot of the influences of punk and alternative 80s and 90s alternative, especially Ooh. when you're going into um, so and more more 80s for their earliest stuff, more 90s for the later stuff. Right. Um, they definitely just got, and they're just great performers. Their the front man is fantastic. I forget his name. I think he had a side project too. I could mm. be wrong on that. But um, I think I think they're kind of big in Australia. They're kind of somewhat big underground hits in Australia, but they never really made it past there. Mm-hmm. But seriously, if you're going to start with them, I would recommend their album, their 1997 album, Lower Yourself. It's a great record from start to finish. Um, really like the song When. That's a great one. Oh, and it's got it's big enough to have alternative takes on Spotify. So there you go. Nice. Just like the pumpkins. All right. <laughs> they have, I like uh, it. Uh, reissues, but no. Um, when and lower yourself are my favorite two from from that record. Um, seriously, they're they're a fantastic band, and I just when I, I discovered them looking through an old edition of Flip of Flipside magazine. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, came across like this like feature on them. I was like, New Christ, never heard of them. I looked them up. I was like, Oh my God, I'm so glad I have this magazine. This is like one of the best things I've discovered That's in the past awesome. like five years. It's fantastic. Um, so yeah, um, I'm gonna stop gushing now. It's a, <laughs> they're a great fan. Awesome. All right. Well, that wraps it up on our Smashing Pumpkins episode. What do we got coming up next week? So this is an idea I think I came up with uh, when we first were starting to come up with ideas when mm-hmm. we first started doing the show together. I don't know if I don't know how it's gonna work. I don't know if it's gonna do well, but you seem kind of into it. Yeah. Um, I, I originally wrote down as our favorite Bandcamp discoveries. Mm-hmm. I think we're just gonna be in general our favorite discoveries on the internet that we wouldn't have discovered otherwise without right. said internet. Mm-hmm. So really, our favorite you know bands that you know like I'm saying re- mostly recent-ish bands that we discovered through online, whether it be through music discovering sites like Bandcamp or. Um, Gemendo or others or just other stuff that you've um, kind of come across with on the internet you would have known otherwise without, without right. this, uh, is, this is going to be an interesting one because we're kind of yeah. going to build each other a, a playlist of this stuff and we're going to actually listen to each other's mm-hmm. favorites and react to it and describe that music a little more in yeah. depth and, and, and overall I, I think this can be like you know we just had this recommendation section mm-hmm. imagine that extrapolated to a whole fucking episode yeah so it's gonna be a good one and a lot of interesting a lot so. of good underrated underrated bands that we're gonna be shouting out just underground week. and I think underground because let's face a lot of these bands are probably aren't yeah. probably that well known but. and looking into the future we got a uh, a favorite of yours coming up yes too. we will but should um, we, should we right? spoil that or let's let's tease it next week we'll tease it next week yeah all right all right Thank you very much, and uh, as always, good night, night Detroit. Detroit.